everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Ben, and today on our panel, we have Tessa. Hello. And Ari. Hello. And our special guest for this episode is Mike Hardington. Mike, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello. Yeah, as Ben said, my name's Mike Hardington. I'm a developer, developer advocate at Ionic. Basically, all-around swell guy, so I've been told. Got With a pretty rad stare. beard, too. With the beard, yes. Beard and if you see another stare. Mike Hardington without a beard, that is not the real Mike Hardington. That is an imposter. <laughs> well, I mean, I see a Keurig in the background, so I'm beginning to question if even you are the real Mike Hardington. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there, there's plenty of things in the background. Just because the Chemex broke, I needed something. So I will go with a Keurig over no coffee any day. <laughs> Well, today we're here to talk about uh, a first-time topic on the show, which is about mobile development. And so when it comes to mobile, there's you know, a lot of different approaches. There's native, where you write, like iOS developers are writing Swift, and there's Kotlin for Android. And so, Mike, tell us a little bit about how like, Vue and the like, frameworks play into the mobile sphere, because we're not obviously writing in Swift or you know, Kotlin. Right, right, right. I mean, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of define what hybrid means in this spot because we're going to be talking about hybrid apps in general and the idea is that we are not writing our mobile apps in one language that's really all we're trying to get across is that a hybrid app is a bit of one language and a bit of another language being used in conjunction to deploy to your app store so one of the big things that i have been involved in over my essentially career is this project called Cordova. And Cordova is this open source project where the idea is you take your web apps written in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, you wrap them in this thin layer, which allows you to deploy them to the native app stores. So you can download them through Google Play and the iOS app store, get install tracking, in-app payments, all the benefits of a native app. And you're only writing the portion of your app that you need in web technology. So you were getting your entire UI layer, all your interactions, your typical web app kind of approaches to building building mm-hmm. something. And then you're just making subsequent calls to certain APIs that exist in that wrapper layer and only in that wrapper layer to call things like background, geolocation, in-app payments, create ad banners, what have you, but to call this native device uh, device functionality. And you're mostly doing that through JavaScript. So this is just one approach in that space where you take the web technology and deploy it to the App Store. But there's a bunch of different options out there as well. This is one we'll probably talk about more. (laughs) So if I'm understanding you correctly, so when you say you're wrapping a thin layer, is it basically like treating a web page as if it were an app? So it's like loading it in a web container, like website container? Yeah, in a sense. I mean, when you're on iOS, you're essentially loading it in a UI-less version of Safari. And on Android, you have a basically a headless version of Chrome that is playing your app, giving you 100% of the screen real estate to do whatever it is you want. So you have yeah. all of that space available. Mm-hmm. And you just write the app however you want to do it. Yeah, so it sounds like almost like a predecessor to be prior to progressive web apps, right? Like where you can download your website as an icon, but that wasn't really a thing back then. So 
this was like one way you could do that, where you could basically download the app as an icon on your screen. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, the original creators of the project, they were web developers by trade. When the first iPhone kind of came out, their ideas were, we're going to ship web apps, and that is going to be the apps for iPhone. Mm. Um, like fast forward a year, though, the developers on the Mac ecosystem were like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> and it was 2007 and 2008 at the time. And it truly was a terrible idea because the web just wasn't up to R. Like we didn't have geolocation. We didn't have mm. all of these kind of common functionalities. We just got Ajax like a few years before. <laughs> so for people to think that we could just ship a web app and call it a day back then, it was not the right idea. But they didn't want to lose out on all the functionality that the web had at the time and was also going to get in the future. So their ideas were, what if we just polyfilled whatever it is that we needed with some custom implementations, let people ship their apps through the app stores, and then as the platform or as the browser got better, we can stop shipping things to the app stores and we can mm -hmm. just use the web. And that's kind of where, you know, progressive web apps kind of came out from this idea of what if we could make the web do everything native can. So those concepts aren't so different. Yeah. One's just a precursor, and now we have progressive web apps. But we also have other projects that, you know, one that I specifically work on called Capacitor, which you can get into too as well. Yeah, so tell us a little bit more about this Capacitor project. Um, you know, I've been talking about this a little bit prior to the show. Yeah, I mean, Capacitor, it's... Capacitor is essentially our rebranding or our, it's like Capacitor is like Cordova's spiritual successor in a sense in that we use a lot of the same ideas and concepts and philosophy that Cordova had, but we've taken a lot of, a lot of different ideas and techniques from different ecosystems uh, like React Native, Native Scripts, certain ideas here and there where how the projects get managed and some of the technical details behind the scenes are very much in that React Native, Native Script ideas. But the front end and then how a developer consumes those APIs are very much Cordova related. But it is essentially still, you take a web app, you take this native app wrapper, and you're deploying to the app stores at the end of the day. That's really all we're trying to solve. So as someone who's worked on a React Native project earlier in my career, so one of the things I thought React Native tries to sell that like you take the framework, the language that you know, React in this case, and you're basically supposedly be able to create like native app, meaning like it renders out into iOS and Android code, like fully using like the native components in those ecosystems. But one of the things that was most jarring is that you basically have to relearn the entire DOM API. So, you know, as web developers, we're used to like divs and p tags and stuff. And like with React Native, you have to learn like button without opacity click. And there was like a whole list of things. You had to like basically relearn everything. What is sort of Capacitor's approach to this sort of, sort of writing code? Well, first off, we're accessible web developers, we're going to use sections, main, <laughs> headers, more than just divs. That was a joke, by the way. Uh, yeah, Ben. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the one who's guilty on that one. <laughs> but the idea is that developers shouldn't have to relearn how to build apps in that case. 
So for a Vue developer, you're going to bring in all your knowledge from Vue, how you build apps that way, and really all you do to integrate or use Capacitor in, call, say, the background geolocation or local notifications is import a class and just call that class. Your knowledge and how you manipulate the DOM, how you add routes, how you actually build out interactions and all the things that make your app your app doesn't change. So you're not having to relearn mm-hmm. how lists work, how text works, mm-hmm. um, or images. All that knowledge still applies. And that includes like all the CSS media queries, all of those capabilities are still 100% available. So when it comes to managing your code base, I know that in some of the mobile frameworks, you have like a section for what the web renders versus like a section in your single file component that the mobile side will render. And so based on what you said, so does Capacitor basically try to have you keep it all within the same template block when writing your code or are there separate sections so that mobile does one thing and web does another? So it's typically all within the same template in that aspect that if there are certain UI elements that you want to have only on certain devices. So if you are only on Android, show this feature, you can use feature detection, device detection, and swap those components out. If you want to just say, I am on mobile, don't show the massive thousand pixel image slider that is meant for my iPad or my desktop, you can just use media queries and remove those completely from the equation. So you are basically expected to use responsive web design capabilities and methodologies for building out your app instead of having to have, okay, well, here's my template for mobile iOS or mobile Android. No, no, you have CSS, you have some JavaScript if you need it. You have all the capabilities at your hand. So we discussed that this isn't fully native. So are there any performance drawbacks to using something like Capacitor as opposed to writing it in Swift? Not really. I know it's like the real easy. So, I mean, I could give you the easy answer and no, not really. But there is the more complex and involved answer of it depends. If you are writing any app in any language, a lot of the performance benefits, you know, depends on how you write your code or what kind of things are you doing. If you do a set interval and try to pull something every three seconds, that might not be very performant. But you could do the same kind of concept in native, and that would still be horrible for performance. So it really depends. But in the case studies that we've, that we've done and the people that we've talked to, the performance that they've gotten really is on par with what you would expect from native. And really, the performance metrics that you want to look for are, is it okay in the browser? Does it perform well on my mobile Android device, my Moto G1, or my 2015 Android device that has horrible battery and horrible memory? It's definitely not a desktop computer. So if you follow the practice of target for the least, then better resource devices will be fine. Along a similar line to Ari's question, I know that it can be kind of a process to get your product into the app store, but I assume that if I'm using Xcode or something, it's all pretty streamlined. Like I pay my $100 or whatever, and somehow I get it in there. But if I'm using Capacitor, 
how do I go from, okay, I wrote some JavaScript to like, hey, this thing is on my phone and you can buy it now. Right. So we ship a small little CLI utility. So it'll allow you to take your web project, build out the native iOS and Android kind of wrapper layers. You can configure it however you want, but you're basically just going to open up Xcode, which every time I say that, some people kind of get, hmm, hmm, I don't really like that feeling. But it's like iTunes, except for apps and not music. All you do is just you click your signing, let that manage itself, and then you hit build and deploy it to the app store at that point. There's probably a million little details in between there that pop up, but the challenge or the difference between native and capacitor at that point, they're both going to have to go through that same process of my app is now here on my machine. I hit build and I have to go through the archiving and uploading to iTunes Connect or whatever they call it these days and wait for the review process to be done. And this is, of course, after you've waited eight hours for Xcode to install. <laughs> oh, the, eight hours, the, the eight hours for it to install, the extra hour for it to unzip, mm-hmm. and then for the Android Studio version to download and install. If you don't have more than 128 gigs on your laptop, you basically <laughs> work it right then and there. So along similar lines, I feel like, okay, I'm not 100% sure about Android Studio actually, but both Apple and Android have their like design guidelines of how they expect apps to look and behave. And I feel like at least in my brief stint with Xcode, a lot of that functionality was built in. So I'm curious how that works with Capacitor. Like, do I have to do all of that stuff manually? At that point, it kind of depends on what your UI library is, because we're still rendering out a web app at that point. So all your controls, your tab-based interfaces, your menu, your navigation, all that is driven by your web project. So if you're using something like Beautify or rolling your own UI library, you are basically just going to have to recreate that. The kind of good thing here is that Material seems to be like a de facto standard design library that people can use, and it appears on iOS and people are okay with it. You can roll your own library if you want. You can use, you can use Ionic if you want. You could, it doesn't really matter. That part is all up to you. Whether that's good or bad is <laughs> up to your design capabilities or your team's design capabilities, but it's a freedom that you get. So then maybe this is a naive question or you answered it already, but what then is the difference between using Capacitor and making like a PWA Like, is it like the ability to buy it? Is it sending notifications? Right. Well, let's let's take a look at a really common API that faster users are consuming. That is background geolocation. That does not exist on the web for various privacy and security reasons. But also, there's no API to actually say, when my app goes into background, watch the location. If I leave this kind of fenced area, send off an alert to my phone. So the idea is that it should be able to provide APIs that can exist on the native platforms. But if you want to also deploy it to your hosting provider and actually play as a PWA, those APIs, even if they're not available, it should be able to gracefully fall back and just reject the promise for that API and say, hey, you're in an ecosystem or on a platform where that API doesn't exist and there's nothing we can do 
handle that however you want. So it really takes that progressive enhancement kind of idea and pushes that right to the forefront where you code against these APIs, push notifications, background geolocation, Bluetooth, and you can use these features when they are available. But if you're on a platform where they don't exist, just reject and kind of say, I'm not going to blow up. I'm not going to say my entire app is going to go into error red zone, <laughs> but it's going to still be able to handle that if I wanted to. And speaking of built-in functionality, so I know at least, I think you've had some experience with this framework called Ionic, which provides basically a lot of out-of-the-box components for you to use that look great and already styled. So is it possible, like, does this, in relation to Capacitor, do they play well together or are they just separate products? Like, how should I be positioning them in my head? So Capacitor and Ionic, while created by the same company, they are not necessarily tied together. So you could use Capacitor without using Ionic at all. In fact, we have some demos and examples that we're just using Beautify mm. or just vanilla view and no UI library at all. Mm-hmm. We're just, but if you want to use Ionic, we're not picky about that either. <laughs> we, I think it'd be great if you did, but it's really hard to sell an entire company on a whole new design system. It's easier to say, hey, do you want to use, you want to <laughs> just use this uh, wrapper layer? Here you go. <laughs> So what I'm hearing is we can certainly have our own layer, but we can integrate Ionic into Capacitor if we want to, like, especially if we're starting a new app, to like leverage the built-in functionality and some of those like navigation items. Like, you know, Android has that like pop-up thing where you press like the plus button and it like pops out. Like those are things that would probably be difficult to build from scratch. And so it'd be nice to have something like Ionic where exists mobile features like that already exist. Yeah, I mean, that's totally something that you can do. But again, it's not specific to Ionic. I know Beautify yeah. has its own thing, their floating action buttons kind of UI where that press the plus to get like a whole arc of different options. That's totally doable as well. The idea is that we don't, Capacitor is framework and UI library agnostic to the point where it just does not care. If you can import nice. something using JavaScript, TypeScript preferably, but if you can uh, import something, (laughs) you should be able to build an app. So can we just give a brief overview of what Ionic was? Because at the beginning of the episode, I thought, oh, maybe I'm the only one that doesn't realize the difference. I was Googling like Ionic versus Capacitor. And I was like, you can use Ionic with Capacitor or Cordova. So I was like, oh, I guess they're like tightly coupled or like nested. And now I'm like, oh, they're not. Right. So Ionic tries to solve the problem of UI on the web and it being bad and slow. Shouldn't use the word bad, but less than ideal. UIs, Mike. <laughs> okay, yeah, then they are bad. My own, my own divs and floating action buttons fail in comparison to Ionic's components. I cannot write good UI. I'm fully able to admit that. But Ionic is like, what if we could just take away that problem and make it seem like developers can design. <laughs> so Ionic solves that UI, light, UI layer and that interaction and how the app behaves and how it looks to the user. We started off that journey and we focused on integrating with things like Cordova at the time. And as we went through that journey, you know, it went well, but we started to notice there were certain areas where we had opinions and we wanted to improve the overall experience. Hence why we built Passator as a spiritual successor and eventual replacement for Cordova. So 
Ionic kind of came first as the UI layer. And then we're like, hey, we can make even further improvements and better the ecosystem by offering another approach to that native integration. So you can use both. They pair perfectly together, but you don't actually have to use them together as well. You can use one without the other. Great to hear. So one of the things on mobile that I think is often compared when we talk about web development versus mobile is you know, on mobile apps, users expect really high quality animations, you know, whether it's those transition states and those things. And so is that something that we're expected to handle through like normal CSS transition states, you know, or JavaScript? What is, does Capacitor have any guidance on the best performance wise to handle this kind of thing? Yeah, again, still goes down to the idea that the web is a very capable platform when it comes to mm -hmm. animations and transitions are fully possible in, in CSS or JavaScript. So Capacitor itself doesn't offer any solution there. I can say that my team is also putting out a web animations library that we have yet to announce. But it's basically, we extracted all the animation <laughs> logic from Ionic and made it its own standalone library that you could install in. For instance, if you wanted to add transitions between routes in your project, you could just import that library and define those transitions on your app. Excited for when that comes out. Our developer who worked on it, his name is Liam, and we joked about releasing it as Liamations. <laughs> Ooh, I was just going to ask. I wondered what the name was. That's so good. Uh, yeah, I thought it was amazing. And the rest of the team did not think it was so amazing. So I lost that. Wow. I lost that vote. Time to cancel the team. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. So when you're building your application, how do you connect your phone or like a virtual phone, I guess, to it to test it out and see how it's working? Like, is that just through Android Studio or Xcode or is it a different process? So we have a few different ways to do that. Passenger, like you could just build your app and then deploy it to your device through Xcode or Android Studio. We also have a small little dev server included in our CLI command. So you could run dev server, I think it's like capacitor serve, and it will ask you to spit open up your native IDE, and then you will deploy it to either a simulator or your real device, and it will host your web app while watching for changes and then be able to live reload those on the device or on the simulator. So you can get Ooh. some quicker feedback into does this interaction or does this device call actually work or am I just failing right now? So it provides a little bit more developer ergonomics there. There are some cases where it's probably better to just test on a device and not have a live reload server, potentially intercepting or causing issues there. I will say that with Ionic and its integration with Capacitor, that is even better because you could just run Ionic serve or Ionic Capacitor serve, and it will automatically do a full rebuild of your web assets too. So nice. in an upcoming release for Ionic View, we'll be able to do a full build of your View app and then automatically deploy it to your device. So from your templates to your device, 30 milliseconds. Dang. I mean, that's all the View CLI doing the work under the hood. We're really just, <laughs> we're really just sitting there like going, okay, when's it done? <laughs> 
And so for those thinking about getting involved, so what I'm hearing from you, Mike, is that even if you've never done anything with mobile apps before, like if they add Capacitor to their view projects, they can really basically get up and running and actually deploy their app to the iOS and Android store with minimum sort of learning ramp. Is that about right? Yeah, I mean, we we actually even have a whole dedicated page to various frameworks show you how quick and easy it is to get up and running. So I released this a couple of weeks ago, capacitorjs.com slash solution slash view, for instance, will give you the whole kind of, I think it's like five, four steps on how to actually get up and running and test this out. Basically install capacitor into your project. It acts as like any other NPM dependency. You init your project, you do a quick little web build, and then you can add the native platforms. And if you want to call, say, geolocation in this example, it was simple as just importing plugins, getting the geolocation object, and then getting that data from the geolocation API. And so, and in the page, basically a giant template and script for your single file component that you can just copy, drop it right in there, and it all works. I promise. So speak, speaking of learning curves, I feel like even just switching between web frameworks, if you don't really internalize the paradigm of that framework, then you can kind of make life harder for yourself. And I'm wondering if you notice similarly any patterns when web developers start using something like Capacitor and think about mobile, like are there certain patterns that they tend to follow in the beginning that then they look back later and be like, oh yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Mm, that's a really good one. One of the ones that I tend to see the most are people who assume because an API or a feature is available, like geolocation, that they could just use it and not have to specify why or provide any meaningful reason for getting that data. A lot of it comes down to developers either not understanding user privacy or security, like, hey, maybe people don't want you to track their movements when your app is in the background. It's kind of sketchy. I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> uh, Wasn't that like uh, one of the distinguishing things between Capacitor and a PWA? <laughs> I mean, you can do it, okay? But there are the security implications of if you are a app that wants to get that data, you as a developer need to be fully aware that people either are not going to be aware of what that means or people are going to be super critical of what that means. So you should be able to say, hey, we are going to track your location data for a certain number of time, for a certain time frame, within these constraints, and here's why. And then here's some res research to look up for it. So it's people understanding that mobile is a little bit more freeing. Like you can do certain things and get access to all these APIs. It's not always the right reason why you should have access to that. And that's from like the technical side of like device features. Other things that I see people do is just throw a website that's optimized for their brand new Mac Pro that cost them like $30,000 <laughs> and then just complain on Stack Overflow, Hacker News, you name it, that, oh, this framework is so slow. Don't ever use it. Just use something different. I mean, I really mean that the idea of Bill for the worst, and then everyone else will benefit for that. You can't just take a 
five megabyte website on a mobile device and say, <laughs> why can't it handle that? <laughs> uh, you need to build and optimize for those constraints, meaning don't load 4K images on your mobile device. You probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> but Giphy's are so much fun. But videos actually are faster and much smaller in format. <laughs> and you can do image source video. <laughs> videos actually work better on PowerPoint too, in my experience. Not that anybody's <laughs> putting PowerPoint on their phone, but... <laughs> Plus, <laughs> videos I mean, I do. have more than, more than 32 colors. Sure. So I guess uh, the takeaway I'm getting is just because you can does not mean you should. <laughs> yeah. Big, big kind of thing is, yeah, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And scientists were too preoccupied if they could and didn't ask why. Or something like that. Whatever the yeah, exactly. Jurassic World or Jurassic Park quote is. Yeah, I know that my iPhone will yell at me, or at least it will be like, hey, this app keeps using your geolocation data in the background. Are you okay with that? And, you know, they keep asking it when it's ways. And I'm like, yes, yes, I am. Could you stop asking? But yeah, security and privacy is definitely a big push these days. And you don't want people to stop using your app just because you decided it was fun to keep tabs on people. <laughs> yeah. There's also like performance constraints there. Like if you are constantly pulling that data, your device is going to drain your battery. It's going to drain your device's battery so quick. Between your dev tools being able to inspect the memory impact of your JavaScript, and then the native IDEs being able to inspect the impact of these different device APIs, you should have no problem though profiling that and figuring out it's like, what's the impact of me asking someone's, uh, getting someone's geolocation data for like 10, 15 minutes. With great power, something, something responsibility. <laughs> Okay, Ben. Some, something, something <laughs> dark side. Something. <laughs> something. <laughs> so how do people usually go about debugging these apps? Like what happens if I put an infinite loop in, in the app and then I publish it? Or like if I did that and somebody's like, something's wrong with the app, then how would I go about finding that? So the best part about, about that is you are building a web app. If you want to debug any issues, you can connect Chrome on Android and Safari for iOS to their debug, to their dev tools. So actually iOS, if you connect your iPhone via USB or if you have a simulator running, if you go up to the develop menu, you can see the different devices that are connected and you can inspect any of the apps that are currently running. If there is a web view or JavaScript context running, you can inspect all that and have access to the full DevTool capabilities. And the same thing goes for Android. So remote inspection of your devices and simulators are baked right into the platform. So your debug and kind of tooling workflow doesn't really change at that point. Nice. Well, I mean, technically, I use the Firefox DevTools, and I know they have or had, they hit it really well now, some kind of way where you could connect Firefox DevTools to Chrome. So like, well, I don't know if it's a question <laughs> that comes up often actually like, can I use the Firefox dev tools instead of the Chrome dev tools? But you'd be surprised actually. That comes up quite a bit. I think there's like oh, some nice. remote debugging capability or some utility that you just add like a script tag and it will forward all the requests to your local machine and you can just open it up in uh, Firefox and connect to that. So Firefox users, don't don't be afraid. You can still debug your apps. Nice. 
Yeah, I couldn't get it working with the web app at my company, but it would be hilarious if I could get it working with Ionic. But going back to what you were saying about building inclusive experiences, I'm curious about when it comes to accessibility, if we have to learn like a, a new set of skills there, or if we can use the same techniques that we use for web development. Yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, it makes sense. There's certain aspects where there will be additional APIs needed or additional kind of knowledge necessary. I know, for instance, there are some screen reader APIs and accessibility for if you want to bump up the system font size, does your app support that? And also overall zoom of your device. So there are some eight ways where there are native APIs that you do need to know. And we don't currently have support for that at the moment. It is planned for our next major release. But the good news is that most of the built-in web accessibility features, ARIA, tab, index, what have you, all that should still work. So if you are building accessible web apps by default, picking frameworks that fully support that and the tools to let you know if you aren't, you should be able to have full accessibility support. One of the big things that we try to do is just spend a day with our devices on voiceover mode and just can we debug apps that way and can we actually use the apps that we are building ourselves to see what are, what's missing in either capacitor side of things or is it a, another UI framework's problem? So then on a similar note, like can I just say use the voice assistant in capacitor and then it will smartly map that to Siri or Bixby or Google Assistant or I don't know if Alexa's on phones, Cortana. Cortana. You can actually. <laughs> so as long as it's mapped to like a system default, I know on iOS, it's always going to be, I think, Siri, unless you completely disable Siri. But on Android, you can have multiple assistants. So you should be able to just map that. And if it's not built into Capacitor, Capacitor's API and its runtime it's, itself is extensible. So you could build more features and release them as standalone plugins. So one that we see people, we've seen people build is for Firebase integration. We don't actually manage that ourselves. So we've had the community build it and you can just add onto it. If you want to have a plugin that manages virtual assistance, if you go through that process and you want to build that out, you can release that as a standalone package and still let your community use it if they find it valuable. Very cool. So speaking of community, where do people usually go if they're looking for help? Like if I'm looking at this few JS Solutions page and I'm like, I don't get it. Do I just at you on Twitter, at Glimmy Loomy, or... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can totally at me at Twitter. I will accept all the ads. But more serious, if you are using Capacitor and you want to get some help or if you're running into any issues, we actually have a GitHub discussions panel already started up. So if you go to the capacitors repo on github.com slash ionic hyphen team slash capacitor, there's a discussions panel that you can join in to kind of see some of the more common questions and pain points that people have run into. Some of it is mostly around device capabilities or device APIs and questions that they have. Definitely ask there. You could also join the ionic forum. I know it's not necessarily we said that they aren't one and the same, but we have support for it there. And 
we uh, help out as many as we can. Stack Overflow too. Like it's wherever you want to go for your help, I will try to be there. Well, very impressive. Awesome. Does anyone have any final questions for Mike as we start to wrap up? Yes. What would you say is your favorite part about working with Capacitor? And what would you, like in an ideal world or maybe for future you, would you change? Hmm. My favorite part of working on it so far has just been the community excitement around it. There are some parts like if you are building something and obviously if it's for business use case, that's fine. But it's really nice when you actually build something and then the community really resonates with it and they like what you're doing and they are encouraging and they're trying to get involved. For me, that's the most valuable thing that I could get is just that community feedback and community engagement. For me, that is, I wouldn't trade that. That's my favorite thing about it. What would I change? I don't actually know what I would change. I would go back to its original prototype name, which I'm still to this day sad that we could never use it because it was avocado. <laughs> and the earliest versions of it were avocado JS. And because it was a somewhat of an acronym for Cordova. Oh. Or an anagram. Acronym? Anagram? I always get those. Anagram. I think anagram. Yeah. Anagram. An a- acronym is opposite. Wait. Acronyms where each one has a English? word. Every letter has a word. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, my goodness. I haven't slept in a week. You should do <laughs> that, just Tessa. <laughs> Sleep is good. Word, words are difficult. They are. And it, it was supposed to be like a little, oh, if you arrange these letters in a certain way, it'll spell Cordova. So that way people can see the original inspiration. And <laughs> we couldn't get the Twitter and GitHub name for that. And so oh, we were no. like, oh. the first like, I'm not giving you those. Well, I guess we're going to have to rename it. <laughs> we're yeah, very we upset. Just, just imagine you're making toast notifications and you could call it avocado toast. Uh, <laughs> Miss opportunity. <laughs> Do you not see why I would want that name back? Yeah, that's, Especially that's really understandable. Especially if your phone was a potato, then it's just food theme all the way down. <laughs> it would have been... The puns and memes that we could have made from a DevRel perspective would have been top notch. (laughs) Love it. All right. Well, Mike, so for those who want to at you and learn more about Ionic and Capacitor, where can people find you on the Internet of Things? At Um, Gloomy Loomy. (laughs) Apparently, at Gloomy Loomy. Um, <laughs> you, you can find me uh, twitter.com slash bloomy loomy or uh, m hardington you can find me there um, just look for the beard you, um, you can't miss the smug and the withering uh, stare don't forget that oh I thought that was at Jeff B. Cross uh, oh people, shots oh, fired <laughs> well I, I have about another 15 years and just sad corporate life ahead of me to get to the point where Jeff Cross is at. I'm like the, <laughs> the younger, more youthful version of Jeff Cross. He's the old me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, it's time for us to move on to this week's picks. Tessa, would you like to get started? Sure. So my first pick is our scoped slot episode starring Ben. 
I really didn't get them before. And last week, for the first time, I used not just a scope slot, but even a nested scope slot in prod. And I even got to use the hashtag syntax. And it's getting merged today. The least feedback I've ever gotten on a PR in my life. I was very happy about all of it. So hopefully if scope slots is confusing for you, that will help you out. So that's like a nested rec for nested scope slots. You may need to Um, listen to the episode five times like Tessa did. (laughs) (laughs) It was a tough one. (laughs) And also like on the fifth listening, I was like, people are going to think I'm just pretending that I don't get it. But I really, I really didn't get it. I'm still maybe not I'll sure. I get some, <laughs> maybe I'll attach some diagrams to the show notes for that episode. That's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. Also, I don't know anything about programming animation, but for that same project, I was doing some animations on my computer and I found out there's actually iPad animation apps. So I tried a few and I really liked Calipeg for drawing. But for like doing frame by frame animation, I think Rough Animator had a really great experience. So I would recommend checking out those apps. And finally, uh, when it comes to summer, I always think of the original soundtrack for the series Karekano. So that is my final recommendation. Oh, and they have Pink Lady on there, who's also great. Awesome. Ari, what do you have for us this week? So after racking my brain the entire episode duration for a pick, I was also staring at my mouse. And so I'm going to pick my mouse. (laughs) It is a Logitech G700S and it has lots of extra buttons so you can map hotkeys to them. I personally have copy and paste and cut (laughs) maps to my mouse. (laughs) It's for, you know, easy one-handed programming. (laughs) But yeah, so that is my one pick. I wish I could remember other things I did, but my brain isn't working. Sorry. It's all good. Mike, what do you have for us this week? So first one is Fall Guys. I downloaded it last night. I haven't played it yet, but my friends and I are going to play it, and they've been saying it's praises, so I'm looking forward to it. Maybe it's going to be bad. Maybe it's not, but we'll see. <laughs> I promise it'll be amazing. <laughs> yeah? Yes, I just saw and if you ever trend- need other people to play with, I'm happy to play with you. <laughs> I just saw it trending on Twitter earlier in the week You're for like for it being so like busy that the servers were down for a little bit. I was like, mm-hmm. well, I guess I need to go play this game. <laughs> Another one, R slash DIY on Reddit. I was commenting on this with a coworker, and someone posted something on there where they were like, it's my very first project and something I made myself. It's not great. But here it is. And everyone was just super positive and just like, hey, congratulations. That's amazing. Great job. Can't wait to see what you build next. I was like, that's such a positive stream of things that everyone needs. That whole subreddit should just... (laughs) (laughs) For our listeners who can't see, Arya's like, are we living on the same planet? (laughs) Is this the internet? Our DIY could be an entire post on our awe. It is just so much positivity and good feelings, especially these days. I feel like we all could use some of that. So our DIY, if you want to start building things and you're, you're locked down and fall, guys. Nice. All right. And for my picks this week, 
Chris picked Sigrid a few weeks ago and so started listening to some of her music. And so one song I started listening from hers is Don't Kill My Vibe. So if you want to check that out, would recommend that. And then funny enough, y'all can see if Tessa was laughing as Mike was talking about Fall Guys because that's my other pick <laughs> for the week. <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't see. Oh, I thought that's why you were laughing. <laughs> Then that is why I was laughing. Come on. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Tessa trolls me so easily. Oh, gosh. But yes, to compare... Not in the Scopes last episode. <laughs> not in the Scopes. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> but to Mike's point, yes, highly recommend Fall Guys. It's on Steam for PC and on PS4. I own both. So if anyone wants to play, I have both platforms. Um, of it's just, course you do. <laughs> for those wondering what it is, basically, it's a 60-player battle royale where you're this jelly bean. The controls are super simple. You just jump, dive, or grab. And the goal is to get from one end of a race to the another and survive basically these mini games. And so it hilarity ensues, chaos ensues. It's just a lot of just good, innocent fun. So highly, highly recommended. It's actually pronounced Jelly Ben. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, with that, that is all for this week's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time, enjoy the view. Bye.